Uncle Owen! It's R2 unit has a bad motivator, look! Having trouble with your drug? Your drug? These two droids. Both are hard working and will serve you well. Droid. 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 We serve their kind here. You're listening to We Serve Droids, the series that Big Podcast doesn't want you to know about. I'm Scott. <laughs> I'm Chris. <laughs> and we are nearing the end of our slow walk through season two of The Mandalorian. Uh, it's been a good season so far. <laughs> it has, and it's not getting any worse tonight. <laughs> so we are going to be chatting about chapter 15, The Believer. But before we do that chris i just noticed one of my favorite television programs is coming on oh really what program might that be scott <laughs> let's turn on the uh the picture box and see what we find <laughs> the first death star hangar bay 327 a freighter entering the remains of the alderaan system is brought on board freighter has the same markings of one that had recently blasted its way out of Mos Eisley. The ship's logs indicate that the crew abandoned it shortly after takeoff, and several escape pods have been jettisoned. No crew or droids are found on board. A scanning crew is brought in to check the ship, but they along with the stormtroopers posted by the landing ramp soon disappear without a trace. Muddled reports from the chaos before the Death Star's destruction haven't yielded any clear answers. What happened to the scanning crew and stormtroopers? Join me. You may be able to help solve a mystery. So it sounds like we've got a, a missing person case. I guess. Do you want to go into the background of how this this how how we discovered this or how this <laughs> sure, this came to be sure. a topic of discussion? So Scott sent me um, just kind of a link to uh, something he had published on the uh, the We Serve Droids YouTube page, and it was kind of. Uh, and it's like a montage of uh, some of the the better Imperial guys, right? Yeah, the ones who who died on board the Death Star. A retrospective. I think I think we had joked about this at one point, and I don't know why, but while watching this, it just dawned on me when the Falcon comes into the Death Star originally in Episode Four, right? Every, the gang's all hidden away in the uh, secret cargo hold under the floors, right? Mm-hmm. So. They they send the scanning crew aboard, who were quickly uh, dispatched off camera. You know, I think we hear Han call down to the two stormtroopers, uh, TK four two one amongst them, asking for a hand with this, right? Right. And to, to, to with uh, with some blaster shots, you know, kind of indicating the fate of of those stormtroopers. So, donning uniforms and all that, you'd presume they just hid the bodies, right? Just where they were hiding in the Falcon. So nobody ever goes in. Nobody ever comes out. <laughs> so that begs the question, assuming that they were never found, are there just, you know, four corpses just kind of rattling around <laughs> under there? the floorboards? Yeah. Just like, like so much, uh, telltale heart. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess two of them are naked. Right. Yeah. Or at least, you know, in their, 
stormtrooper skivvies or something like that. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no time to feed these bodies to the trash compactor monster before they jet out of there, right? Right. So, I mean, unless Chewie was feeling particularly hungry, like those guys or... Ugh. <laughs> what, what did you think about when I, when I brought up this, aside from just revulsion? <laughs> <laughs> My first thought is how much of a fun gag it would have been in... I think, is there a moment in The Force Awakens where they have to hide under the floorboards? Right, right, in the, in the very same floorboards. <laughs> right! If they pulled it open and the skeletons still wearing the skinny crew <laughs> uniforms had been yes. in there. Exactly. That would have catapulted uh, The Force Awakens to uh, an I Love DVD no matter what else happened in that movie. <laughs> but yeah, it does make me wonder, like, when and where are the bodies dumped? Right. <laughs> Just some, like, poor, like technician on on yavin 4 like on on body duty when they when they load up like han's loading up his his reward and it's like oh yeah i need someone to uh take care of this was like take these to monster joe's auto yard (laughs) i get my car back any different than i gave it monster joe's gonna be disposing of two bodies yeah, I like to picture those guys uh, loading in the giant treasure chests from Yavin 4, like, about to put them, like, in one closet, and Han's like, no, 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 just, just leave them there, I'll get them later. <laughs> Leaving them in a wampa cave would have been easy. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good disposal site there. I mean, no one's going to question some bodies in a wampa cave, for sure. You know what I would have done with them? What's that? When they're in that asteroid monster, throw them out to those Minox. Oh, good call. You got Minox on the power cables. They just need some. That's like a dog, like or a cat that needs something. You know, you don't want them to chew the furniture. You got to give them something <laughs> that's a positive outlet for that. You got to throw a few bones to the Minox. Minox chew toys. <laughs> you got any theories for what became of these four lost souls? I mean, in my in my perfect world, like we get like a special edition cut. You know where they're like they're during the Tie Fighter chase, and you just cut to like like a brief like interior shot of like the of the uh, the hold. It's <laughs> just like the bodies just kind of flopping around. Like yes. I don't know, so so much weakened at Bernie's or right. something like that. Right. Every time the ship turns, they like slide like kids on the school bus seat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's. It did just bring up like a like a you know kind of like a dark like ugh like what like what what did these guys like what became of these guys? The, the best thing would have been if is if the like maybe just knocked out the scanning crew, so you know like one one guy wakes up <laughs> in in the middle of the tie fighter fight or something. <laughs> That's fun too. He's got to like pretend to be dead until he can like sneak off. exactly i want that shot where he keeps like trying to like move away and the someone's about to look back and he has to just like plot (laughs) go limp every time before he can sneak away for like the whole trilogy like lando's guys are trying to fix the falcon and he keeps trying to sneak off the the best i guess what if scenario is if you know the guy comes to like right at the end of episode four is Mm -hmm. han's like you know Zooming in to for the uh, for like the the Tie Fighter kill in the trench and prevents that somehow like dot dives for the control. <laughs> right. 
he gets like awarded posthumously like the imperial like medal of honor <laughs> exactly <laughs> well listener if you have any hot tips to where this, this uh, lost person is please don't hesitate to call your local police or reach out to the producers of unsolved mysteries <laughs> Well, what do you say we jump into chapter 15, The Believer? So what do we open up on a new kind of planet, right? Not a desert planet, not an ice planet, but a garbage planet. Yeah, junkyard planet. A biome we have not yet seen in Star Wars. There have got to be enough TIE fighters out there to at least cover the surface of a, of a good medium-sized planet, I'd say, at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, given our previous conversation, there's got to be a fair number of just, like, corpses on the garbage planet. Uh, that's true, yeah. You, you gotta, you, they didn't bother to clean out those TIE fighters before they brought them here. Oh, no, there's bits of Marvin's brain splattered all over that <laughs> TIE fighter. <laughs> exactly. That's going to be awkward when, like, you know... Uh, Mayfield opens like a opens up a Tie Fighter and knows the guy who's in there. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is a fun garbage planet. Yeah, man, just more fuel for your New Republic Police State fire here, Scott. Yeah, this is uh, not a Ooh. good look using prison labor this way, right? Like, ugh. you know, I'm assuming it's everyone's ex Imperial, but I mean, there's some there's some non humanoids in there, so. I'm assuming it's just a war crime and not a regular old-fashioned human rights violation. Right. <laughs> I guess that does kind of bring to mind, like, you know, is there some, like, uh, New Republic bridge on the River Kwai that, like, uh, Imperial <laughs> Alec Guinness is trying to build <laughs> before, like, oh. I don't know, like, who's the guy that, that uh, calls his own shot on the AT-AT on Hoth? General oh, Veers General Veers, has to, like, yeah. blow up. <laughs> what do you think about these walkers in the background of Garbage Planet? Yeah, they, they kind of look like the um oh the uh dockside walkers, right? Mm. That we saw earlier this season a little bit. Yeah, and the ocean plant and the, the Norwegian planet. Right. <laughs> I like these garbage yeah, collection walkers. I guess it's like a AT Wally, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I like that. So our good friend Mayfield gets remanded here to uh, Imperial Marshal custody, right? Yeah. Hey, here's a question for you. I only thought about this just now, but, I mean, he's known here as 34667, right? Mm. Is that um is that a is that a sort of parallel to, like, a TK number for your Stormtroopers? Oh, that's a good thought. Is there the sort of same dehumanization process in this New Republic prison work camp uh right as you have in the imperial squadrons yeah i mean that's a good point that really ties into um i guess a, a point that uh mayfeld will like make make later on here but yeah that's a really good thought thought it was yeah, es- we- especially uh a bold choice when the camera went past the the gate that said work shall set you free <laughs> Maybe, maybe not, not, not a joke I would have made if I was Disney Plus, but, but okay, you do you, Star Wars. Yeah. Hey, Favreau can do whatever he wants now, I think. 
You gotta think, there's gotta be like a like a giant, you know, city sized machine that can just grind up all this crap, right? They're just they're just it's just kind of like, you know, breaking up rocks in the prison yard kind of labor. You yeah. Know? Like you have to manually tear down your, your war machine, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're learning viable uh viable new job skills as a part right. of their rehabilitation into society. Oh man, Imperial Salvage is so hot right now. <laughs> Definitely a growth market. Let's let's say you're the prisoner here, right? And in addition to looking looking for uh, you know stones for your chess set, what's the coolest bit of like imperial tech or rebel tech? Like, what are you excited about finding? You know, Wally has Ooh. his little like garage of treasures. Yeah. What's the best uh, bit of Star Wars garbage you can find if you're on Garbage Planet? Ooh man. Ah. Uh, Imagine you you gotta you know collect like the rare like stormtrooper helmets right like the ones with like the different stripes on them like oh this guy was a you know was a shore trooper or you know one of the uh, one of the um oh Defcon like two troopers we found last last month yeah the yeah the the, the mortar troopers or whatever um, that's fun it's kind of like completing like a dinosaur set. Right, where it's like you're probably not going to get a full skeleton, but maybe you can cobble together enough pieces to assemble one. I bet those little like chiclet badges on officers yeah, are pretty so fun. I was going to say those are like Pokemon cards on on Garbage right. Planet. You got to catch them <laughs> yeah. all. Yep, it's like the gateway, and then like you know you you start collecting that, and like rank cylinders are next. <laughs> I mean the 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 big prize would be like one of the funny hat guys hats, but oh yeah. Those are there's probably like three of those in the whole planet, so keep dreaming there. <laughs> yeah, you're not even really sure if they make those. But old uh old Cara Dune is is here to collect Mr. Mayfield, right? Yeah, as as foretold, I think it's the end very end of last episode, right? I think Miggs agrees to go with them a little too easily. Assuming that he has any say so, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think the alternative is the uh, <laughs> taser rod. The uh, the robot was 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 forcing on him. I think he could have easily bargained for three beers apiece for him and his coworkers if that seems fair. <laughs> right, Pick, oh. picking garbage is better with a with a with a can of suds. That's... Uh, yes, uh, I was trying to think of the line, and that's how it came to be that on the on whatever it was, like at nine thirty in the morning. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's, I don't know, you know, you get the fun take here of uh, freshly repainted Boba Fett, right? Is this the, is this the intro to that armor? I believe this is, this is the intro to, uh, yeah, to fresh paint job Boba Fett here, which, I don't know, what's, what's your take on that? It's very non-stock paint job on like your sports car like low-end sports car that you souped up Mm -hmm. like it's a very fast and furious kind of paint job yeah i don't know how about you i mean it looks like it's like how it should look if the armor was was new right and if it was you know non sarlacc uh Mm -hmm. digested or faded but it's like um you like you know collecting like sort of old things like people want like the actual like patina on it right they don't want things Mm -hmm. that have been cleaned Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like happened here. Like it, it, it looks new, but it doesn't look quite. My theory is that the redesign for this 
is partly it's a little more flattering to wear. Mm. And partly I wonder if this is not anticipating the Boba Fett series when you've got to have different suits for stunt doubles and you've got to mm. animate it for effect shots. That's true. I wonder if having one that doesn't have all the, you know, you've got to have this bullet hole in the exact right spot on the shoulder pad of the helmet. I wonder if this just makes that process a whole lot easier. Yeah, that's true. And and I mean, in all honesty, like it was looking very rough when, when Mr. Fett recovers it here previously. So it wasn't your granddad's Fett armor before. This is probably the first free time he's had and, you know, since crawling out of the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> well, he must have spent some time, like, whittling together some new legs for uh, <laughs> Finnick Shan, right? <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> he just, like, he, he got, he found the slave one, like, he, like, he was cleaning it out and found, like, the, like, the original, like, you know, pots of paint or whatever for it mm-hmm. that he had, like, in the back of the uh, the storage area. So they board the Slave One, and I think answer one of those, like, all-time questions, right? Yes, man. This was... I'm a little jealous that someone else got to got to do this, right? Invent how it works. <laughs> or, I, I guess, you know, gets, gets to decide how this works, right? If our listeners don't remember this or didn't, didn't catch it, because it's going to happen in the background, as the Slave One takes off... It sort of reorients itself upright like you do when you're a slave one. <laughs> and I guess everyone is seated in this sort of, what would you call it, like a gyroscopic kind of like seating area that I guess maintains its orientation as the ship moves around it. It's very like 2001 Space Odyssey. I always kind of imagined it was a scenario where you have like a like a ladders on the wall and then like on the ceiling, like depending on which way the ship's oriented, right? And then, you know, once you get in space, you can, I guess, probably do whatever the hell you want, right? It does solve, like, I always wondered when they load that Carbonite Han Solo and the ship takes off, you know, I always pictured it just slamming into the walls like so many scanning crews in the floorboards of the Falcon. I like the fact they didn't address it or, you know, give Mayfield, like, a quick, like, double take or whatever as it happens. Like, this is probably just fairly run-of-the-mill in this universe. Yeah, we will see later in the episode, uh, not all Slave One activities will be quite so uh, inconspicuous, right? <laughs> and man, you do not want to be uh, not not seated with your arms and legs inside the vehicle when that thing is rotating. That looks like a surefire way to have a, maybe have a Django moment there. <laughs> yeah, there's no like, you know little gate that the carnival worker slams shut on you before before <laughs> right. sending you on the the, the whirly twill twirly wheel yeah. or whatever it is yeah boba fett's the kind of guy that gets like the uh like just like the seatbelt buckle part right and just leaves it clipped in <laughs> just just so like the uh the chime doesn't doesn't go off continuously like right. he is he has removed whatever safety features <laughs> were present you better have those units from the South Range repaired by midday or they'll be held at night. We'll see you in hell. See you in hell. See you in hell. They've got to track down Moff Gideon, and they think that Miggs would have uh, some Imperial knowledge t- to do this. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, we've got to get to a plot device. 
a literal plot device. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that there's one of these plot devices on Morak. I don't know if I got that name right or not. Yeah, I, I'm not not really super clear on what the planet's actually called, but yeah, it's that sounds right to me. <laughs> Why not? So uh, they arrive on said planet, and it looks like what there's some folks shipping some rhydonium ore to a rhydonium refinery. Is that what's going on? Yeah, some some uh, hush hush imperial remnant mining operation here. Is the is the plan immediately to hijack one of these big rigs and just ride it right into the base? Yeah, I think that's the only thing really coming in and going out of the base is the kind of the impression I got. So these these conveniently rolling in things driven by two guys in helmets. Why not? <laughs> and this is not even the plot device. The the gist I also got is like maybe they're like cut off from communication while inside like these tunnels. Um, so that's like, they get the drop on them and, you know, without having them immediately like, Hey, there's some guys breaking in, send help kind of deal. I don't know if that was expressly said. That's kind of the, that's just what I assume to be the case. I like that read on it. So there's a fun bit of like trying to figure out who's going to be on the infiltration team and right. who's going to be on the extraction team. Right. Oh, so, so yeah, the, uh, apparently they get, you get a scan going in if you're on the uh, the New Republic no-fly list, right? You, <laughs> you you get flagged. That's anyone that's, that's what, Cara Dune out. And I guess Boba Fett's out by virtue of having, being the, uh, what, the progeny of, of the, the, the Stormtrooper clone army, right? That was one of my favorite lines in the whole episode. Listen, yeah. <laughs> Boba Fett says someone might recognize my okay. face. I love that. Which I guess there's I guess there's still some people rocking around who might remember the old clones because it's it's been a little bit at this point. But well, I mean, since Revenge of the Sith, yes, but we don't know how late the cloning kept going because I kind of feel like some of the some of the stormtroopers might have gotten their voices special editioned to Tamira Morrison. Oh, that's cool. Okay, I didn't realize that. If I remember correctly, yeah. So I think it was sort of retconned that some of your OT stormtroopers are still FET clones. I mean, yeah, why not? You just keep keep chugging those chugging those guys out. But even if not, like you say, it's it's too too familiar oh, yeah. of a face. Yeah, his his face is on like employee posters in the break room, like about, you know, working safe and you know <laughs> cleaning your blaster. Like like they have like all like the instructional videos they have to like rewatch every year and attest to like right. he's like like one of the clones is doing that. Um, and of course they can't let Miggs go by himself because they're worried he would just say, "Hey, here's the whole the whole." He'd give away the whole game, right? Which I think introduces the central plot hole to this episode. Like I don't get how sending him with Mando safeguards that oh from him blowing their cover yeah just walking in because i mean at this point he still thinks he's on borrowed time right like as far as he knows he's going back to garbage planet yeah like his his best case scenario is is getting like a a, what like a corner cell on garbage planet after this something like that (laughs) right right and so that almost seems like it's too tempting for at any moment him to blow their cover. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, there's a better than average chance if he blew their cover, you know, they they would they wouldn't be able to overcome the entire presence on the planet, right? 
Right. Yeah, that's a very good point. Right. I mean, he just has to say, like, hey, that guy's a, a fraud, and just start, you know, throw his gun down and dive on the ground. Um, and it's hard to see how he doesn't get... I mean, even if he gets conscripted back into Stormtrooper life, like, is that worse than... And maybe we'll talk about that in the episode. Maybe it is. But mm-hmm. at this point, we're not given that any of the heist crew here doesn't appear to think that he thinks garbage collection is better than uh, Imperial life. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we you know, we'll come to find out, you know, how he feels personally later on. But right, there is, yeah, very little indication of that currently. I mean, the only thing I can get is maybe Mando would be able to take him out <laughs> in the uh, in the ensuing chaos. I think that's got to be the threat. The thought that with his dying from Hell's heart, he would stab yes. it at uh, <laughs> at Migs. I think that's got to be the only safeguard right now. I can buy that, I suppose. Yeah, but it seemed like again, it, it seemed like a threat they raise, but I thought the episode never came back to it in a way that I thought it, it still remained pressing at mm-hmm. every moment. I mean, even when Mando's up on top of the juggernaut, we learn it's called, like, he could have radio-ined then. Mm. There was never a moment even to wrestle with, is he tempted to do it? You know, is there a moment where he thinks about doing it, but isn't quite sure if Mando's far enough away to get away with it? It seemed like a, a possible Chekhov's gun that, didn't even make it to the wall. Hmm. And I mean, here's a, here's another point. I know, I know why it was done for the sake of the episode, but yeah, why would you tell the guy uh, working multiple, I'm, I'm assuming multiple life sentences doing manual labor that, Oh no, no. If you help us, we won't let you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Speaking of plot device. Yeah. They should have at least just lied and told him he'd get a sentence commuted or something. Right, right. Or go to a less exploitative prison. Like, I mean, they're only, like you said, they're not even promising to move him from manual labor (laughs) planet. (laughs) All that to say. uh, (laughs) There's a lot of criticism from what I take to be, like, the best episode of the season. (laughs) I mean, whatever contrivances they have to do, because the the upcoming scenes are are pretty great. I'm I'm willing to forgive a lot here. A hundred percent. And this is also the moment where you realize, like, oh, this is a heist episode. Yeah. Uh, which you know is written by the same guy who wrote the Migs heist episode before. And so it's fun to have a little bit of a a get the team together for a heist, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's a like. More than anyone, I thought this episode could have been a feature-length movie. Like, you you stretch out... Like, you have to break out... Like, instead of just getting him out of prison, you have to break him out of prison. You move the Boba Fett stuff into it as well to get him on the team. And so you beef Mm. up the getting the the crew together plot. And I thought this could have been a really fun heist movie. Yeah, I mean, I I could have spent as much time as you liked in that Imperial base with uh, some of those characters in there, for sure. Mm. I and mean, this was just such a great idea for an episode. And I'm not complaining that it's an episode. I'm just saying, like, it's so great it could have easily been a two-hour movie. Right. In a way that, like, Boba Fett smashes Stormtrooper helmets from last episode. <laughs> probably, probably, we probably got the full amount of that we could. So we get a reluctant Mando here agreeing to go in. So the, the gang gets the, the drop on Juggernaut 5 here, right, as they go into the tunnel. Is that a fun little uh, play on Luke's Red 5 on the Death Star run, you think? 
I like it. I'm, I'm, it is now, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, as far as call signs go, Juggernaut 5 is a way better call sign than, than Red 5. <laughs> yeah. I'm the Juggernaut 5. <laughs> yeah, big fun to get him changing out of his... his uh... Crap, I already forgot that material, his unobtainium armor. Oh, uh, Beskar. Thank you, his Beskar armor. Yeah. They're transporting this highly volatile material. I don't know yeah. if, if you've ever seen the movie Wages of Fear, Chris. I don't believe I have, no. So this is a 1953 movie. Uh, it's a French director. I can't remember if it was where it was filmed. They've got to transport, you know, nitroglycerin or something. I was I was gonna guess is it nitroglycerin? <laughs> that's what this feels like. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a very like you know on all these kind of movie list kind of movies. It's it's really great, and I feel like we have a little bit of a a nod to, to that movie here. And I've got my own nod to this Rydonium. If I can tell you what I'm drinking about tonight, oh uh, please do, Scott. Medium dry martini, lemon peel, shaken, not stirred. 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 Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of quinoa lily. Shake it over rice and then have a thin slice of lemon peel. Yes, sir. I thought in honor of Rhydonium, this volatile material, I would try to use something with an ingredient that I've always been a little bit scared of. And that is, uh, what was it? Campari. Campari, thank you, yeah. So Campari is this extremely bitter, uh, I guess, what, liqueur? Mm-hmm. From, yeah. from, from Italy. And so, I mean, it's in, it's in you know, some pretty well-known cocktails. Is its bitterness what drove you away from it? Yeah, I, I've not been, I mean, I think I tried a, um... A what's the 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 a Negroni? I think I tried a Negroni, Negroni a long yeah. time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've always been afraid of it. But I don't know if you have this weird compulsion, Chris. But whenever there's something like a kind of food or something like that that people like and I don't like, that always really annoys me. Yes, I'm 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 with you there. I'm I'm not a fan of guac and. Uh, that's the the worst food not to like, apparently. <laughs> right. I hate the idea that I'm missing something that people like. So food or drink. So I'm trying to walk my way into appreciating Campari. And I thought that at risk of blowing up my own juggernaut, I would try to do that tonight. <laughs> so it seems like, uh, right, uh, adding it to something that I already like a lot was the way to go. <laughs> And so I've taken a whiskey sour uh, as my base. So I've got right an ounce and a half of bourbon, uh, three quarters of an ounce of lemon juice, and three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. And I've added to that three quarters of an ounce of Campari, which I think turned out to be the right ratio for this. You could probably go more. If you already are a fan of Campari, you could probably go more. But if you're wading into the waters like me, I think this is the right amount. And then after scouring the internet to see, you know, what other... Because lots of people... I mean, lots of people have played on this this theme a lot. I found a YouTube video where someone had muddled a few red grapes in with it. And that seemed like a nice idea. So I did that. Muddled the grapes. Sh- put it in a shaker with ice. 
shook shook the heck out of it. Uh, shaken, not awakened, right? <laughs> and uh, st- strained it. Uh, you really got to strain it, right? Because you got some like grape skins in there now. And strained it into a glass with some ice, and that's what I've been drinking. Unless you're into grape skins in your drink. <laughs> I have had many like a wine that the kind of wine has like a lot of the pulp still in it. Oh, really? Did you or did you manage to drive your juggernaut home with a uh, a rhydonium, as I'm calling this drink? I did. I I haven't really wasn't really conscious of Campari before. Like I, I knew it existed, but I in terms of its you know taste or anything else about it, really, I, I did not know much about it. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of bitter drinks in general, but I think the 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 ratios here work. I'm not sure I'd bump up the Campari anymore, to be honest. But it's it is very drinkable. So I hope you don't uh, regret me making you buy a bottle of Campari to make this <laughs> scared oh, no. Star Wars drink. In, in, any excuse, and we'll always have it for for later. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going Campari themed, and for the rest of 2021. So <laughs> buckle up, listener. I have a whole basement full of obscure we serve droids ingredients. I don't know if you're uh, if if it was too bitter for a round two or not for you. Yeah, my my, I just finished off mine. If you want to go, want to go mix another, I am game. Look, sir. What have we here? Look, sir. Oh, what a mess! With the blast shield down, I can't even see. Look, sir. These aren't the droids you're looking for. Now we got our refills. I do have to say, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm in the early stages of developing a cold. Oh. Sorry. So I've taken the uh, Vitamita Vegemin uh, strategy here for dealing with this. It's so tasty, too. And uh, I guess we're back with Mando and Migs in in Juggernaut 5, and they are just cruising through this, like, Juggernaut graveyard, aren't they? Yeah, right? Very ominous. I love I love the back and forth here. It's, it's, uh, it's so much fun. Yeah, and it really develops into a far more philosophical argument than we typically get in the Mandalorian. Yeah, he's he's uh I mean we get the you know someone's always going to be ruling and someone's always going to be, you know, oppressed. You know, the the indigenous folks here don't care, you know, empire, new republic it's all the same to them. Yeah, it's super interesting that he thinks that sort of erases sort of other moral distinctions if if there's no political answer to oppressor and oppressed, to ruler and ruled, then there's no real good guys and bad guys. If no, if if none of if nothing can square that circle, then what's the real difference? Right. I like that they kind of grounded his cynicism, right? I mean, it's easy, you know, you, you cast Bill Burr for a cynical character, but then to actually give some meat to that cynicism, I thought, is the thing that really puts this episode over the top. Mm-hmm. I also love it in any kind of storytelling when a character thinks they're taking the moral high ground and then the person they look down on points out their own inconsistencies. Right. I just, I think we got a something similar to this in episode eight with uh oh with our favorite uh jailbreaker, uh what's Benicio del Toro's character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Again, this is such an uncommon thing for Star Wars to do and, and 
that moment there and this one here are two just, I think, such great, great, uh, great scenes. Yeah, just like great sort of, I don't know, maybe grounding moments, right? Forcing you to take a look at maybe some broader implications here. And granted, from from a, you know, very uh, seedier looking characters. Right, in both cases, right, Rose and Finn do not think this uh, DJ character is a good guy at all, and Amanda doesn't think that about uh, Miggs either, and I think that's what makes the commentary that much more biting, right, when it comes from the person you don't respect, Yes, and you have to acknowledge the validity of the argument. Exactly. The argument here being, right, that, that you know, he claims that Mando thinks of himself as this sort of you know, rule follower, like, you know, in, in philosophy, it's like, like a, a deontologist and, and Migs Mayfeld is like, no, like you, you will bend and break your rules as easily as anyone else. Right. And then he has the, the important, but here is like, but, and I think this is where Migs thinks he's sort of transcended it. He's like, but you know, we all do whatever we need to do to sleep at night. And if you can achieve that, you're at least doing better than most. Right. So it seems like he's very strongly emphasizing the role of like, you know, sort of personal conscience as being like a sort of minimum threshold, like a, or maybe like a moral optimization kind of thing. Like, like if you can sleep at night, at least you're doing that well. Like no one's, no one's hands are clean here, but if you can sleep at night, Mm -hmm. you're doing better than most. Right. Yeah. It's, it's easy to have rules when, you know, where before, you know, desperation sets in, I think, or before, you know, people's rules change when people get desperate. He says something to that effect. And again, what a great... It's great here because it's directed at Mando. Right. But then later in the episode, it gets internalized by Migs. Mm. I love when scenes do double work, right? When they work in the moment and then they do work later. And this one does that. And I think it's just mm. such a beautiful scene because of that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. It is so much fun just to have this, you know, this kind of character come in and just really force, you know, this kind of analysis, right, on, you know, the show and universe. I also, just as a as, just as a design feature, we get so many shots of little internal gizmos and screens and whatever on the juggernaut. And they really give us, you know, zoom in on, like, some fun-looking microphones and little meters and... So, so this microphone thing, I'm, I'm about 95% certain is, is kind of similar to the thing Han was, uh, talking into in episode four on the prison block. Oh, cool. And the, where are you taking this thing guys, uh, standing desk? Yeah, exactly. The, the, we're all fine here now. How are you? (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's great. What a great repurpose if so. And I guess we find out that things are not looking so great for juggernauts three and four. Some some panic shouting and a very calm, <laughs> yeah. very calm uh, juggernaut director on the calm. Yeah. Proceed with caution. <laughs> yeah, old juggernaut squadron is going down like gold squad gold squadron over the Death Star, <laughs> right? isn't it? <laughs> this is like a very like, well, time to make our trench run. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure we'll be the ones who come through. And then we get this uh, traveling skiff of pirates. Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me. Yeah, I mean, is it pirates? Is it locals? Is it, uh... Thank you for, yes, I'm glad you had the same thought I had. 
I mean, I think I think Mando says pirates at one point in time, but like, what are they pirating by just blowing, <laughs> just blowing it up? Exactly. Yeah, I was convinced we were gonna get a scene later where someone at the base was like, "Pirates? No, those are the guys that mined the Rhydonium." <laughs> like, right. <laughs> they were just blowing up like so many Maz Kanadas. They were just obliterating like a mining union. <laughs> Uh, these imperial scabs need to be taught a lesson. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I'm with you. I thought they had to be, like, locals who were sending a message. You know, they can force us to extract this stuff, but we're not going to let them refine it. Right. Because, uh, like you say, I don't know what kind of pirate blows up the booty. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're uh, maybe they're commodities traders, right? So they're going <laughs> to... They're gonna pull like a trading places and crash the uh, the Rhydonium market as soon as this thing blows up. They're creating a Rhydonium bubble. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah, the Ropec, right? The Rhydonium yeah. producing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no way Jimmy Carter is surviving uh, these guys blowing up all these juggernauts. Yeah. <laughs> road kind of quality to them don't they yes absolutely i mean if you're chasing like a 30 foot long you know giant wheeled vehicle with like sticks and bombs hey i'm i'm willing to willing to allow it <laughs> yeah i guess that's the kind of thing kind of like maybe raiders little stark probably also had this effect but like it's probably hard to do action and not be copying like at post fury road especially like i say with a vehicle like you can't not copy it. Right. I mean, I think Fury Road is just essentially an encyclopedia now of, of every, you know, vehicle-related action-y thing that could possibly be accomplished, right? One thing that I love about this scene, uh, I mean, I love it for all the visceral reasons, but, you know, re-watching it uh, and sort of thinking about it from, like, a ge- like the geography of the scene and the logic of the scene, it solves, like, two almost intractable problems of, of action sequences. One is by the fact that it's on this long truck, it mm. makes the action like one dimensional. Right. Right. So they can't surround them. Yes. And, yeah. And they, they have to kind of come at him more or less one at a time or, you know, just like one, one or two guys at a time. Right. So there's no scene like in that crazy 88 Snoke room where, you know, some of the guys are just standing around like waiting to attack. Yes. Yeah. So it solves the why don't they don't surround him problem. And then two, since like they're trying to blow up the Rhydonium, but they're not suicide bombers, right? They want to throw the thing and get off. Exactly. It explains why they're not shooting guns. Mm. And these are like the two problems of most Star Wars action scenes is why they don't surround you and why people aren't shooting you. And I love this scene for giving, like, actual answers to those questions. And you have a third giant, you know, giant wheeled vehicle. You, you gotta see it run over somebody. That is that is obligatory. Oh, yeah. They are giving us uh, dudes under the wheels. I feel, I don't know, I feel cherry on top was, I think it's earlier on, but the, the gun jam is followed by the gun throw. Mm. <laughs> Uh, chef's kiss on that one that was that was uh it's it's pretty old but uh it's 
so much fun in this context. Gotta have a gun throw. I like the spear the guy that the spear takes the guy off the ground. <laughs> oh. Not, as if the spear was thrown by like a trebuchet or, or like an Age of Empires <laughs> weapon. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a very heavy spear. A lot, a lot of mass behind that spear. <laughs> <laughs> if you actually threw a spear within a force to do that, it would like have to throw you backwards too, right? Like- exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, and I guess on the uh additionally, I guess one more, you know, realistic uh scenario making environment thing, the uh, you know, them not being able to style run them right due to the the mm-hmm. uh the nature of the uh the Rhydonium. Mm-hmm. And we get the uh the conclusion here, right? Yeah, really, really cool for the cavalry to arrive and its TIE fighters. Right. What an against type for Star Wars that is. Yeah. TIEs being, you know, heralded and useful. (laughs) (laughs) They are firing awfully close to the Rhydonium truck, though, aren't they? (laughs) They're they're TIE fighters. (laughs) They can only do what they can do. There's... Classic Imperial, like, targeting jokes. I don't know. But yeah, you're, you're, you're right. I guess they figured, well, we need to, we need to fend off the attackers or blow it up before it gets inside one way or the other. So we'll accomplish that. And then we get a cadre of stormtroopers. And is that those, uh, Rogue One Tropical Island troopers in there with them? Yeah, they look like, look like stormtroopers. Uh, yeah, shore troopers, right? They got those cool armbands. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Oh, yeah, on, on their on the left pad? Yeah, I do see that. Yeah, it's almost reminiscent of, like, I don't know, like Argentina's flag or something. There's a few Latin American mm-hmm. countries with that blue-white kind of color scheme. Do you think these are, like, uh, like imperial like national guard for this planet or something <laughs> like that? <laughs> yeah, right. But fun to get our, our, our shore tro- a shore trooper return, just obliterating these other guys. Pirates life for me. And Migs and Mando, like, come in to, like, a hero's welcome. Yeah, right. This is this is strange. So I, I had this thought. This is a very like um, rebellion esque kind of welcome here. Yeah. Right. Did you did, did you have that that kind of that thought? Like this I is. Mean, a, I didn't. But the whole thing feels like it. Yeah, it's like a very ragtag you know group of you know people and kind of overcoming the odds here to come back to safely, right? Mm-hmm. And a very very like a uh, non imperial welcome here. There's even those guys with those like French World War One helmets. Yeah. <laughs> What's up with those guys? Are they like the miners? Yeah, they've got got Rhydonium lung going on, right? <laughs> they've, they've been down there too long. They have like a they have like a porg in like in a cage to let them know when it's time to get out. As soon as as soon as the Empire introduces strip Rhydonian, then these guys are all gonna get fired. <laughs> Rhydonian top uh-huh. removal just gonna like desecrate this planet. <laughs> hey, hey, they wanna wanga. They wanna wanga. They wanna wanna wanga. They wanna let go. They're not wasting any time. The plot device is there waiting in the officer's mess hall. Yes, conveniently located right next to uh um <laughs> to, to a juggernaut parking. Yeah. Juggernaut adjacent, I, you'd say. 
I love this plot device. It is so, like, janky looking. (laughs) It's like what a payphone looks like now. Like, you're just surprised when you see one. And even more surprised if it's still working. Yeah, this is this, this has been in the break room since the Empire took over, you know, 40 years ago, or whenever it was. <laughs> yeah. And no one from, from Ma's Bell has, come, has ever come by to remove it. Yeah, it looks like if you saw, like, a cigarette machine. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. It's it's like a like a break room from like the sixties. You have like you know cigarettes, like sandwiches, like a coffee machine. Oh, <laughs> right. uh, what are those? What are those things called? Like a, like an automat, right? Yeah. You put your quarter in. You gotta open yeah. the little glass door and pull it yeah. out. <laughs> so so Migs can't go into the the mess hall, which looks mm-hmm. like I don't know if you've. I have definitely worked in environments that had a sort of like. It's sort of a break room. It's sort of a place you can eat, but it's not actually big enough for everyone to go there at the same time kind of place. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would that would encourage idleness and uh, <laughs> unproductiveness or whatever. Yeah, the Empire went all in on Taylorism. They're like, everyone's got to stand six <laughs> inches apart. Like, right. optimal elbow <laughs> space, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, really cool, like, little picnic tables in the mess hall, too. Yeah, right? These kind of metal deals and, like, stainless steel kind of doodads on top and cups and whatnot. And then we get to the plot device itself. Yes. (laughs) The plot device doesn't care what your face looks like so long as you're not wearing a helmet. (laughs) The the plot device doesn't match your, your, your... your key card or your code cylinder with your face. Yeah, it doesn't matter that he stole that thing right off a dead juggernaut captain. Yeah, if if you get a if you get a valid valid cylinder code cylinder thing and a and a and a non blown off <laughs> face, you're, you're in business in the imperial or in the imperial navy. There's always that guy in the the war movie who has the, like the bad like scarring from being burned. Right. How embarrassing is it when that guy, like, the the plot device doesn't work for him? So, <laughs> I, I have something kind of funny along those lines. So, um, this previous summer, I kind of, I, I mangled one of my fingers a little bit with a, uh, doing some, some yard work. And as a result, um, like, the fingerprint lock I had set up that, like, also <laughs> included this finger no longer works. <laughs> so... I'm glad it wasn't the only one I had set up for it, but it is. It is. I find that to be kind of funny. Just it's. Think of the countless crimes I could now get away with now that my <laughs> fingerprint's slightly different. Apparently, <laughs> did you remember hearing about the the issue where there was this sort of like AI bias where the people who had programmed all the facial recognition stuff in tw- I think it was in Twitter. Like, mm-hmm. had only used, like, white people's faces. Yeah, I heard about that. So, it just, like, was not recognizing, like, non-white people's faces. I wonder if the mm-hmm. plot device here is, like, racist like that. Oh, it's like, oh, Rodian, nope, not recognized, or... <laughs> right, right. You know, just, like, non-humanoid face detected. Please, right. please, please contact your supervisor. Because we get the shot of, you know, finally de-helmeted Pedro Pascal... And he's got this, like, grid on his face. 
I like to picture the reverse shot to be of him looking at one of those like Snapchat things where you have to like, try to figure out what the text is. <laughs> and it makes no sense. <laughs> it's telling him to find like all the pictures with crosswalks in it. And he has no idea if this picture counts yeah. or not. <laughs> Please select only the uh, XP38 land speeder <laughs> for these <laughs> right. pictures. Right. Very ATM esque, this machine. Yes. Yeah. You know, he didn't insert his card the right way the first time. <laughs> also, he didn't take his helmet off, <laughs> as he was just told. It's gonna like, and it's gonna like self self destruct or something. <laughs> right. It's it's gonna it's about to eat his ATM card if he doesn't input his pin code correctly this time <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or something. <laughs> okay, I think you've said target. Is this correct? What? No. Great. I've made the change. Your wife's new legal name is Targus. Targus. Is this okay? No. And I guess old uh, Officer Southern Drawl shows up uh, to chat with Pedro Pascal. Oh, uh, I love this guy. I, I love this guy so much. <laughs> this guy's great. Um, I wonder your grace we don't have a 90-minute movie just, just starring this guy. Ugh. <laughs> uh. And it's so fun, like, knowing how naked Mando must feel right Right now, he just psychologically cannot say anything to this guy. Old, old Mayfield comes in, right? Save the day. Mm-hmm. He took uh, improv classes, and he's able to, to, to yes and anything. Right. And he is playing off the silent treatment that, that Mando has given Officer Southern Drawl. I, I, I caught a comment he made, like, I think a little bit earlier on my second watch through. He's like, I'm pretty good at fast talking, but I don't know if I can explain away that helmet or whatever it was earlier. Oh. And man, he, he was, he is, he was on the money there. That was a, that was a fair self-assessment. And of course, in, in true reserve droids fashion, Officer Southern Drawl invites, invites these two gentlemen down for a drink. Yes. Our, our two heroes, they were, who are the only ones who mature make the uh, delivery today, right? That's right. Employee of the month for sure. Yes. Yeah, they pull in there and everyone's cheering. And <laughs> they're like, we're going to use this Rhodonium to blow up more orphanages. Yay! Right. <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll beg for us back any day now. Any day now. <laughs> right. Who wouldn't want the Empire? There was a throwaway line I think Bill said, or I'm sorry, uh, Bill Burr said about... Uh, like let's go fill out some TPS reports or something like that has like a fun little uh, office space like meaningless form callback. That's so much fun, right? That's that's really at we serve droids, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's definitely in our uh... <laughs> <laughs> one of the four movies we talk about on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely on brand for us. Um. How great is the, uh, when he says he can't hear real well, and all of a sudden Troll just, like, yells at him, like, what's your name? <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, it's great. And I love, we call him Brown Eyes. That's, I feel like that's Nick's doing a fun double thing, too. Like, right, he's ad-libbing, but also he's still kind of, like, needling Mando for not having his helmet on. Like, exactly. he can't help himself. Yes, it's, it's perfectly described. Yes. You both have eyes, and I now know their color. And I'm because <laughs> if you didn't have eyes, the plot device would have blown up. 
never be getting your ATM card back. Right? If we'd only thought we'd had a great scene with Officer Southern Draw, now we really get a good one. Oh, man. Pretty not appetizing looking drink he pours for them, though. Yeah, like a milky looking water, right? Milk was a bad choice. I, I could I could listen to this guy just say brown eyes over and over. <laughs> <laughs> this guy just stole this episode with about what three minutes of screen time here. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. And our our buddy Migs, he's just he's had enough, right? Oh yeah, he is. He was he was done before he walked into the room. <laughs> <laughs> little little latent animosity towards this guy, to say the least. Yeah, so what's the story? He, like, presided over some massacre that Bill Burr was, you know, subjected to? Is that is that what happened? Yeah, so the the operation he mentions, um, I don't know if you know, it, it was from, I think, the uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2 video game, which I think, the, the, the which the story, I think, takes place, like, immediately... Like during and following Return of the Jedi, it's kind of like the, uh, like the post Emperor's sort of death Imperial plan. But that was something interesting. I wasn't sure if it was entirely entirely canon or not. So I guess I have my answer there. But cool, yeah, I did not know that. That's really cool. I love how when Migs really starts to go into it, there's like one scene where he kind of looks where Mando just like shakes his head like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that like millimeter, like no. Migs brought up the toast, you know. To you know, I, I think mm-hmm. I think he he knew what he was going to do at this point. As soon as he sat down to the table, as soon as he's being you know detained by this guy, like this is the path was set. <laughs> I think before they sat down, right? And I guess that's what goes back to the whatever it takes to to sleep at night scene. Like, right? He knows, like I can't, like to be at a table with this guy. I won't be able to sleep at night if I do nothing. Right. And so it's interesting that that ethic that was earlier an excuse for maybe immorality, you know, like there's mm-hmm. no right or wrong, which right. is what makes you sleep at night, now is a condition for morality, right? Like now it's like, no, I have to do this or yeah, I won't exactly. to sleep at night. Yeah, like him arguing for like almost inaction before where then, you know, necessitating action now, right? And I like to think maybe he, like, he didn't think this guy was either still alive before, right? Like, maybe he had, you know, died in the intervening time or something like that. And then, like, the the shock of just seeing him, like, acting like he has when he was, you know, committing these atrocities. I wonder what's the Argentina planet where all these, like, Imperial Nazis have snuck off to. Right? <laughs> I mean, we see like the Imperial like remnant still fairly organized, but and he's you know singing how that you know the people crave order and they'll they'll welcome us back with open arms, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think of <laughs> no disrespect to Bill Burr. I don't really think of him as as this kind of actor in this kind of scene. But man, this is I'm not really picking up some you know just just loathing and disgust at this guy. I agree. The two big scenes for for Bill Burr in this episode, I didn't know he had this in him. The the scene on the Juggernaut and this one here, he's doing really good work in a way that I, that I mean honestly in a way that Pedro Pascal never has to on this show. 
Mm. And then, uh, as has oft been memed in the months since, uh, he pulls the gun out and and shoots our, our new favorite Imperial officer. Yeah. Uh, gratifying, but a little bittersweet, because, man, I wanted this guy to, to I don't know, be a, be a recurring recurring asshole. <laughs> right, right. The two beats after that, before they start shooting up the uh, rest of the place, is another high watermark of this great episode. Oh, yes. Oh, it's, oh, it's so great. The, the look back and forth. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the guy the, 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 the guy holding the tray. <laughs> the lunch tray guy is great. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, wrong place at the wrong time. I love this guy. Like, I just, love that he's he's holding the tray and is nowhere near a weapon and gets shot first. <laughs> yeah, right. like, like, I don't know if it was storyboarded this way, but like the way it cuts to him just staring at like even though he's wearing a helmet, you can just see his eyes like <laughs> like just oh, fuck. Like there's no way out of this. Holding a, a tray in a scene like this, it's it's kind of like pushing the like cart full of fruit <laughs> during like a, a chase yeah. sequence. It's, it's it's the two guys like carrying the giant pane of glass across the road. <laughs> yeah. um, the giant stack of cardboard boxes. <laughs> the large bucket of paint. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the the piano being like hoisted up on a winch. Um, the little old lady walking across the street. Um, <laughs> right, right. Baby in, in carriage. Uh, yes, there it is. That's 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 it. <laughs> oh, boy, boy, I love you. I love I love you. I, I, I We go back into heist movie mode after this, right? Now it's down to extraction. Kick, kick the obscenely large louver, and we're we're outside. <laughs> and uh, you know we've had the the establishing shots in the meantime of uh, Cara Dune and Fennec Shan sort of you know sizing up the place. That's those have been fun, and it's great to kind of like forget about them for them to start picking off these guys like, just in time. Right, yeah, we see them getting set up, and then yeah, you, you get a a nice reminder as soon as like the first non uh, main character pops out of the uh, that window. Yeah, you could almost forget about them a little bit. I like how the Rydonium refinery is is uh, very like green, like it's running on hydropower. Right, <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's it's a new empire, Scott. <laughs> right. <laughs> Part of they're going to welcome us back is our commitment to to carbon neutral refining. <laughs> the most horrible thing I could think of is it's it's running on hydropower, but they're also just dumping whatever like rhodonium byproduct is back into the water and just <laughs> ruining the ecology. <laughs> Total upstream from a rhodonium village that go past. Yes. <laughs> exactly. It's <laughs> uh, horrible. <laughs> Like, going back to, like, thinking those pirates are going to have been locals, that whole scene of, like, Rydonian Village kids staring at the juggernaut, <laughs> it really seemed like it was there for nothing. Uh, I mean... I guess, I like you said times. earlier, the sort of, like, they don't like us, like, they wouldn't, like, they don't like new- the oppressors oppressed. I guess you're right. 
Yeah, I mean, it helps establish that the planet's not just full of, like, you know, angry pirate-looking guys, right? And that there's mm-hmm. actual people just living here or trying to live here. Yeah, I guess it mainly just helps to maybe set up uh, Mayfeld's compliment, or, sorry, not compliment, but uh, argument there about, you know, just New Republic Imperials. It's all the same to these folks. And then it's uh, hop aboard the Slave One and blow up the factory and get in hot pursuit. Mayfeld's uh, still has his, you know, Imperial Sharpshooter certification here, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because that was sort of alluded to uh, in his introduction episode. Yeah, right. He was, uh, this is his, his bread and butter, so to speak. At what point did you believe, did you intuit that we were going to get one of those Attack of the Clones depth charges? It, it snuck up on me, and I am very thankful it did, because, oh, man, that was, that's that's a sound that is is unmistakable. Yeah, it's great to see the little, like, torpedo tube opening up and then seeing it. Yeah, like, right up until, I think they cut to the, uh, like, the section of the rear of the ship that it pops out from. Uh, it's so much fun. Yeah, because it's about six seconds from seeing it to getting the explosion. Yeah. And so it's fun to have that extra time to totally, like, remember what you're seeing and remembering yes. the way it sounded in Attack of the Clones and wondering if it's going to be the exact same. That's a really fun callback. Yeah. Attack of the Clones had such good sound design in it. Well, uh, well stolen, in my opinion, or referenced i guess is is the better word but i think it's the real opposite of in the last episode when they had called back the a simple man trying to make his way in the universe line i thought that was dumb and this was great (laughs) this was this was definitely more uh contextually appropriate than the than the other line for sure and then it's just wrapping up loose ends right Getting loaded up to go see uh, Moff Gus, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> Mayfield died, or had to go back to his home planet and died on the way back, or <laughs> whatever. What? Pretty fun that he's not immediately sure if it means they're going to let him go or kill him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, wait a minute, am I, how, like, like, I'm trying to make sure I'm not going to get shot in the back here for attempting escape. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not 100% sure what his prospects are for the future here on Rydonian Planet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, does he become a miner now? <laughs> like, yeah, is he, is he just going to find a nice Rydonian woman and settle down, you know? <laughs> right. Is he going to, you know, go, you know, kind of maybe go do a Boba Fett and, you know, go native here? Or <laughs> yeah, He's the Colonel Kurtz of Rydonian Planet now. Right. <laughs> now that the Imperial power vacuum is there. <laughs> <laughs> After he inoculated all the Rydonium kids, they all hacked off their arms. <laughs> what do you think about this little, like, um, what's the opposite of a pro- epilogue? What is this little epilogue where Mando, you know, sends the video message to Moff Gus, you know, regurgitating Gus's lines? I don't know. Maybe overall, I'll, I'll, I'll mark myself down as maybe not a fan. I don't know. It seems... I don't know. Maybe Unwise. out of character to, to well, yeah. I mean, out of character to like announce your. Certainly, on some level, he he realizes that, but I mean, there has no indications. I would assume that, you know, he's a been found out and is actively 
being uh being hunted right yeah right yeah i'm with you that seems bonkers to me to let him know you're coming for him i feel like this would have been like a better thing to to drop maybe like sometime like during heist right yeah like when you've already yeah 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 when you've already docked on the ship yeah exactly like when you're you know like when he's when he's like you know on the bridge or something and you know you're trying to find him like just kind of a something like that i think would have would have played a lot better but overall it's i think it accomplishes what it wants to accomplish but yeah i think it would have played a lot better sometime during the next episode what it's about so speaking of how it goes overall how do you rate this episode on the brian mitchell memorial rankings from Zero Stars to I Love DVD. Worst Cosmic Wars ever. Academy Award, the best movie ever made. I'm afraid this gets my lowest rating ever. Seven thumbs up. This this is this is a, a very easy I Love DVD in my opinion. There there's about I don't know what three to five minutes of this episode that got an I Love DVD and the rest is just just gravy, right? Uh, how about yourself? Yeah, I think this is an I Love DVD easy. It's, in my opinion, the best episode of the season. I think you could argue it's the best episode of Mando overall. Uh, Wonderful action. Great sort of things to think about and chew on. Uh, Just great acting. mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it's, it's delivers on every level and then some. Um, So yeah, this was, this was my favorite episode of the season. In a season that had a lot of great episodes. So, yeah, I'm 100% there with you. I love DVD. So, uh, was there a fun, conspicuous character who you want to give our award to the most conspicuous character of each thing we've watched? <laughs> the Fur Jacket Award, too. I live for furs. I worship furs. Gold jacket, green jacket, who gives it? Oh, please, won't you see my vest? Yes, Scott, I'm I'm gonna have to give it to uh, <laughs> the the lunch tray troopers. I am not calling them. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was just uh, it's just such a such a great you know cap and you know transition to this 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 great scene and it's uh. I think we've talked about it enough, but it's oh, this guy's so great. Well, this whole scene is fantastic. He has the coveted double-breasted fur jacket, Chris, because oh, I am also beautiful. giving mine to Lunch Tray Trooper. I just think Lunch Tray Trooper is so perfect in this scene. <laughs> it's like I just love, I just love the the, the this guy has no good move to play and he just, right. so he just does nothing <laughs> well I would like to thank all of our listeners I'd like to thank Computer Music All Stars for the music we use on this show I'd like to encourage you if you've not checked out our back catalog there's just a surfeit of great episodes for you to check out And of course, please rate and review the podcast. And most importantly, if you've enjoyed it, tell a friend about it, right? You know someone else who likes Star Wars, tell them to check out our show. You can 
email us at weservedroids at gmail.com, right? Tell us uh, who you thought was most conspicuous and what we just watched. You can follow us on Twitter and you can find a Facebook group where there's oftentimes a pretty fun conversation going on. And there is a Patreon, right, with some fun non-Star Wars content. We have an episode on Batman Forever and an episode on a Star Trek The Next Generation episode and probably some more stuff coming in the near future there. You can donate as little as as a dollar a month and get access to some fun content there. I think probably that, that does us till next time. Is that right, Chris? I believe so. I guess we'll probably be talking about the final episode of Mando Season 2. Sometime, in the, unless, unless there's something else, that'll be it. Alright. Talk to you next time, Scott. Then I saw his face, and now I'm the believer? This episode was written by the monkeys. I'm the juggernaut! Five standing by. You guys look like what do they look like, Jimmy? Dorks. <laughs> they look like a couple of dorks.